Hi, thanks for taking time to listen to this week's episode. And today it's just you and I, because I'm going to spend some time with you reflecting on some things which I think right now are worth addressing. And the title of this week's episode is 10 Problems I See with Consulting Businesses. Lots to unpack in this week's episode. Stay tuned. This is the Training Business Podcast. And welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the Training Business Podcast. My name is Mark. I'm the host of the show, and it takes place every single week, every Thursday. In fact, there is an episode of the show waiting for you on your podcast platform of choice. If this is your first time here, you're welcome. This is the show for people like you and I, people who are consultants in the world of coaching, facilitation, learning and development, and so on. If you're someone who is either in the process of, or has begun the process of, or perhaps is years in the process of building a business, monetizing what you know, what you've learned, so you can make it pay dividends in the form of income, then you're in the right place because every Thursday there is an episode of the show designed to help you wherever you are on this journey in the world of training and development, consulting, coaching, etc. And as you can tell from the title of the show, it's about business. It's about things that we should be doing, need to be doing, and how to do them. And so what I've done this week is to write down 10 things which I feel talking to listeners, talking to people who are colleagues in the world of what I and you do, perhaps, or you're thinking of doing, and why those things need to be addressed. So the first today is not having a defined niche. And this means that you're trying to be all things to all prospects. For example, you might say you do some training in the area of marketing or resilience, or you work with leaders and you work with people who are not leaders and so on. And maybe you do something else and something else. And so people can can be confused about what it is that you do. And from what I've seen, businesses that are really successful are those that define their niche and say, this is what we do, and we don't do these things. Now, if you know someone who does those things, you could refer your interested party or prospect to those people, but you know your niche. It's not this, it's not this, it's this. So if you're not clear on your niche, this leads to a lack of specialization, and that can make it very hard to stand out in a competitive market. The other reason is that when you are a specialist, it stands to reason that you can charge more because people believe this is your specialism. It's your professionalism. It's the thing that separates you from other areas. If you think about it, it makes sense because if I, let's say, am a marketing agency and I want training on, for example, using some kind of lead generation system, then I will talk to someone who understands my industry and probably has experience in just my area. Whereas if I talk to a generalist, This is the kind of program or product which could appeal to other people. So when you specialize, you are clear on whom you help 
how you help, and why they should choose you. And this, of course, makes it easier to see you as a specialist and therefore someone who is more attractive than someone who's a generalist. The next thing I see, or problem with business owners in the world of what I do as a consultant, is not leveraging the natural network, as I call it, the natural network of friends, family, and former colleagues. I think of those as the three Fs. When you're starting off, or even if you're not starting off, you need to have um, conversations with those whom you trust, whom you know, people related to you, people who love you and know you and want to help you, friends, family, and former colleagues. And if we're not doing this, this leads to overlooked opportunities and, of course, slower business development, particularly when you start off in business. Now, over time, you don't necessarily need the help of your friends and family and former colleagues as much as you might have at the beginning. However, I still always think it's really important to keep in contact with your friends, the people you go out with, um, have some kind of interaction with, because you never know how they might know someone who's looking for someone just like you. It's amazing how many people who perhaps you talk to but don't know what it is you do and why they should help to promote you. And that means family, friends, and former colleagues. If we don't do this, we're overlooking opportunities again, and this can lead to slower business development. So never overlook the people on your doorstep, the people who know you, trust you, and want to help you. The third problem I see with businesses like ours is that people sometimes don't have a defined engagement process. And what this means is that when you have a clear step one, step two, step three, step four, maybe step five, this gives your prospect confidence that they're not just talking to someone and wasting time. There is a defined pathway when talking to you. First of all, you're going to find these things out and then you're going to draw these things up, and then you're going to email back these things, and then step two and step three, and so on. You get the idea. This gives people the feeling that you've done this before for people like them, and that there's an actual outcome to talking to with you. There's no real outcome when people just have a chat or a catch-up or a casual conversation. People want to feel there is a defined step-by-step -step process. So have a defined engagement process. If you don't, this leads to inefficient client management and potentially losing clients due to disorganization. Because like a sales process, you should know where you are. Let's say you book a flight online. You start off with choosing your flights, uh, then the dates, and perhaps the location, or is it perhaps location, then dates? You see what I mean? People are confused if they're not clear on what the steps are. So when you're actually guiding people, you're helping them to navigate doing business with you. And so you, in your sales process, know where they are, and they know where they are with you in your process. The third thing, or rather fourth thing, is not setting clear pricing. What that means is that when you have pricing, you're clear on what each prospect or potential client is worth to you and your business. You can also say, you know, these are the things that I want to be charging for at the beginning. These are the kinds of products I want to upsell or cross-sell so that when people have finished this program, there is a next natural program or engagement opportunity. 
And so there's a natural flow to doing business with you when people know that you have these services and these products, and this is what they cost, and this is how long they take. That gives people the feeling that, again, you've done this before. When you don't have clear pricing, this leads to financial inconsistency and lack of predictability. And that I'm speaking from experience here, can be quite painful because you'll have a quarter or a month or even a year where you can't confidently say how much is coming in and uh, what you need to do to actually make the shortfall up. And when it comes to selling your business, if you do, you won't be able to value it properly and that could lead to a loss of income in the long term. So clear pricing suggests that you've given thought to how long things take, what's involved, uh, what's not, um, how those things stack up, how you can up, upsell or cross-sell into other products and services. So this also gives your accountant an understanding of your cash flow for the year or for the month or for the quarter. When you look back, you'll see that your pricing has given you, uh, if you will, a roadmap for how to earn the kind of money that you need to pay the bills and keep the wolf from the door. It's so tempting to price things, you know, inaccurately and then, you know, negotiate with people. Negotiation is fine, but you should start with a clear price so that you're not undervaluing yourself and your business. The next thing is not creating case studies. I put my hand up here. The number of times I've popped up a nice web page or had a call with someone, but they've asked me for proof and I've had none. And what case studies do is they help to clarify that people have worked with you, like you, trust you, and are happy to recommend you. Not having case studies leads to reduced credibility and, of course, difficulty in showcasing your success and expertise. People want to know that when you say you've helped people just like them, there is someone, their, their face is there, their picture their title, and there's a quote or video from them or some text from them, which you can use to say, this person has been happy with what I've done or what we've done, and there's the proof. So case studies are so important. There is this concept called social proof, and it's true. You can say what you want about yourself, but when it comes to professional services, consulting, training and development, coaching, it's actually more important what you're past or happy customers say about you. So that's really, really important. If you've not done that, dig into your case studies and create them in conjunction with happy customers. The next one is not building a mailing list. Again, I put my hand up here. I've been very slow to do this. And when you've got a mailing list, you're helping to what's called de-platform. What that means is that if your business is dependent solely upon LinkedIn or TikTok or WhatsApp or, you know, some other platform like Facebook, you are really vulnerable because if that algorithm changes or if for whatever reason you're not generating as much business from that platform as before, you can be quite vulnerable. So it's really important to de-platform. That means get people from a platform like LinkedIn, into an emailing list so you can keep in touch with suspects, prospects, and customers. Suspects are people who are perhaps not yet interested in what you're 
selling. They've expressed some kind of interest in the past, but perhaps not for this program. So they're still suspects. Prospects are people who are potential leads. They're people that we have qualified and we're in the process of selling to them. Again, a program, coaching, consulting of some kind. And customers are people who have paid money for what you've given them and may be interested in future programs. So those three things, suspects, prospects, and customers all belong in an emailing list or email list. And not having an email list leads to missed chances for ongoing engagement and, of course, a loss of potential repeat business. It may be the case that some people don't want to be on your list. That's fine. You can provide a link for them to unsubscribe. And if it's not something that you're able to do, you can find people out there on platforms like Upwork and maybe LinkedIn who can help you to build that software or use software like HubSpot or something else. Lead Pages is another one to build an email list. And I will use platforms like ConvertKit, which again helps me to write frequent content, which is mailed out to prospects or to suspects or to current and past customers. The next one is not productizing services. Again, another mistake made by many small business owners or consulting business owners. And this means that when you productize a service, you have a defined, structured, and accurately priced thing. It's something which can be described, it can be defined, it can be documented and explained. And when you've done that, you're very clear on what's in your training program or your coaching program or your facilitation workshop and, of course, what's not. And then you can say, this is who needs to run it and what they need to run it and how long it takes and what's done before that workshop or consultation or engagement and what's done afterwards. So the whole thing is mapped out, it's checklisted, and you can then decide to make amendments to it or changes to it, but you can't do that unless it's defined, structured, and priced accurately. And again, when I'm selling things to people, if something's productized, I can predict income from that thing based upon how many of those packages I sell. If it's not productized, then it's a bit too, I would say, ephemeral or um, nebulous, hard to tie down, hard to explain. And if you're thinking of, let's say, for example, you buy a package holiday, well, that package holiday is very clear. It's got uh, terms and descriptions or terms and conditions. It takes you from this part of the world to a holiday resort. It lasts this number of days. Uh, these are the activities in the package. This is the number of nights. This is where you can eat. You get the idea? So all of this is defined. So when you productized or, or have productized your services, your trainings, your coaching sessions, this will be very clear to people so they can decide if something's for them or not for them. When you're not productizing, this leads to challenges in scaling your services and, of course, inefficiencies in service delivery. If you don't productize and define what something is and what it's not, you might find yourself spending time and energy you can't afford to spend on things outside of that productized package. And this has happened to me in the past where someone said, could you do this as well? And could you add that on as well? And before you know it, what I'm actually doing resembles in no way 
what I said I would define or do for them. And that's all fine if it's a very high value customer. But over time, your productization begins to stray. And before you know it, what you think you're selling becomes something else. And that could lead to, again, loss of revenue. The next thing is not qualifying clients before they become clients. What I mean is that when you are qualifying potential clients, you're asking questions so you can clarify that they're right for you and you're right for them. You want to ensure that you're speaking to a decision maker. You want to ensure that they're not just tire kicking. They have real intentions because they've got real problems which need to be solved. So there are plenty of acronyms out there that remind you and me of the importance of qualification. So we're clear on who is right for us and who's not right for us. Or perhaps they are right for us, but not just ready, or they haven't got the money. So you want to find out things like, are they someone with a say or influence in deciding who to hire? Have they got the money? Um, is there a real problem which can be defined and solved by you or me? And of course, what is the timeline? Is this something three years out? Is it next week? Is that too soon? Or is it sometime in, let's say, Q3 this year? So you really want to be clear on what kinds of questions give you confidence that this person is right. And if they're not right, you've got to say goodbye. You've got to say no. Uh, you've got to say next. I've wasted so much time in the past trying to make people happy as potential customers when I should really have said, look, this isn't right, or we can help you, or I can help you um, with this, but not this. And if I feel that someone isn't right, or hasn't got the money, or hasn't got any power to make a decision, I have to ask myself if I'm spending time with the right people on the right problem. Working with missed or mismatched clients can lead to potential dissatisfaction and resourcing, or rather uh, poor resourcing, because if you're wasting time on people who will never become clients, there is what's called an opportunity cost. This takes you away from working with people who really do need you and want you to help them and are willing to pay you to do that. So you've got to be very clear before you engage with a client or perspective prospective client, potential client or prospect, what is it that I will ask and establish before I go to the next stage with them? Which things will tell me they're right for me or they're not right for me? And then what do I do? The next one is not establishing clear boundaries between personal and professional life. Again, I put my hand up here, and this has been very costly for many of us, people who are running their own businesses, and we're not clear on when we should be spending time with loved ones or family or friends, and the whole thing gets hijacked. Your work takes over your life. Now, of course, in the early days when you are working for yourself, it's going to happen that you have uh, perhaps to spend more time on projects and things than you thought you would have to, and you make adjustments or make it up to people if you can spend time when you said you would. But over time, this can lead to work-life imbalance. It can lead to potential burnout. And of course, this has an impact on your relationships and your health and your wealth. And there's no point being 
wealthy or having money unless you've got time to spend it with people you want to spend the money on. So if you've got holidays planned, and again, this is true for me, it's it's been definitely the case in the past where I should have said yes to things with people and I didn't, and that comes back to bite you. So having a clear boundary between where I will work, when I will work, and what I will work on and not work on. And this does sometimes mean saying no to money, to opportunities, to projects, and to things on the basis that you believe there is a different option or a better option. So it's so easy to let your business wag you as a tail, if that makes sense. In other words, if you let yourself be taken over then it's very hard to say that you are not the business. So the whole idea of building a business is that it's separate from you so that it can be valued and perhaps eventually sold. Whereas if you are the business, then guess what? It consumes you and it's nothing without you. So just think about that. Again, I've made that mistake and it can be very costly as a, as a mistake. The next one is not having a vision for the year, for two years, for three years and for exit. What I mean is this. Ask yourself, where do you want to end up? Uh, right now, it's January 2024. What is your vision for the rest of this year? What kind of clients do you want? What kinds of projects do you want to work on? What kinds of things would you like to achieve this year? Is it, again, uh, some of the things we've discussed with guests on previous episodes? Is it um, becoming a keynote speaker? Is it writing a book? Is it launching a virtual program, um, an on-site um, workshop? Is it uh, creating some kind of LMS or learning management system which people can subscribe to? So what are those goals for you? Maybe some idea on what you want to achieve in the next two years. That would be year one, year two and three. That's three years. And then, of course, your exit. Now, you might say, why not five years? Well, quite frankly, I can't possibly predict what five years looks like. So right now, short term for me is the next month or two or three. Midterm or mid, you, yeah, midterm is a good term as any, is two to three years. And exit is long term. What do I want to do to end up? Where do I want to end up? Is it consulting and working for the next 15 years? Hopefully not. Or is it, in your case, a plan to sell it? Is it a case that you want to build something, brand it, trademark it, um, productize it, package it up and sell it to another company? I know plenty of people have done that quite successfully. They've managed to build a business with the purpose of selling it. Not bailing out, but selling it. So they've got some, as someone said to me before, they're starting with the end in mind. They're building it to sell. They have an acquisition goal, and so they say, I'm going to build a consulting business or a training business or a coaching business, and 10, 5, 10, 15 years from now, it's going to be acquired by this kind of company for this kind of money, and the reason they're going to buy it is for these reasons. And so that's a vision. Now, that's a long-term vision. Initially, you might say, year one, I want to achieve these things. I want to um, attract two or three high-value customers I want to achieve this thing in terms of content or outreach or something to do with publicity and marketing. And I've got some financial goal or some relationship goal. You get the idea. I can't possibly tell you what those things are. But to me, having a vision means that you're on the right track for you. Uh, so many people fall into consulting or training and coaching because they 
you know, leave their old job, but they don't want to, or rather they're not finding it easy to crystallize or clarify where they want to end up. What does good look like? What does excellence look like? What does the finishing line look like? And again, I know of a couple of people who are probably in their late 60s and wish they had years ago built something that they could walk away from, sell, not just jump away or walk away, but but sell and separate themselves from that business. But when you become the business, then there's really nothing to sell because, well, take away you, what's left? So have a vision for this year, for this quarter, for two to three years' time. And then, of course, have some kind of end goal. It may change. You might extend the time you spend in your business. You might bail out or sell out or get out earlier. You might not. Some people go back into industry. But if you're consulting, you might want to have some kind of vision as to how long and how you'll measure those goals along the way. And you'll be surprised how the years fly by, particularly in this business when working for yourself. So those are 10 things today that are, I would say, problems that I see with consulting businesses. One, not having a defined niche, trying to be all things to all prospects or people. Two, not leveraging your natural network of friends, family, and former colleagues. Not having a defined engagement process, and that means not having a pathway from first contact all the way to loyal, happy customers. Not setting clear pricing, which makes basically it impossible to predict your income. And it's hard to explain what you do, what it costs to people um, if they engage with you. That makes no sense. Always have a clear price of what you sell and, and why it's worth that. Not creating case studies, not having verifiable, identifiable stories from people who lend credibility to your offerings, not building a mailing list, which allows you to deplatform and keep in touch with sus- suspects, prospects, and customers, not productizing services so they can be defined, structured, and priced accurately, not qualifying clients before they become clients so you don't uh, you know, waste time on the wrong kinds of opportunities, not establishing clear boundaries between personal and professional life, which can lead to all kinds of problems, and not having a vision for the year, two years, three years ahead, and of course, your end goal, your exit. What is that for you? It's very personal. Um, you've got to think about that and recognize it and, you know, make sure it makes sense to you. So that's it. Um, 10 problems I see with consulting businesses. So what do you think? Do those things resonate with you? Do they make sense to you? Are those things which have occurred to you? Maybe you want to take this list further and write down uh, those 10 things as they apply to you or perhaps come up with other things which are potential problems I see with your business or you see with your business. Now, here's the thing. One last thing I should say is that when I use the word problems, you might want to replace that with the word challenges. There's nothing wrong with having a challenge or a problem. There are solutions. There are only solutions. The problem really exists when you can't see these things and therefore don't do anything about them. So again, see these as potential challenges. Ask yourself, do these 10 things describe me, my business? Are they true for you? and your business? And of course, what do you plan to do about them? That's the big question today. So thank you for your time. Thanks for listening. This has been the Training Business Podcast. There is, of course, a fresh episode of the show next Thursday, every Thursday on your podcast platform of choice. If you've not yet subscribed, 
please click on follow or subscribe to have a fresh episode in your inbox every Thursday without fail. Thank you again and speak to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.